Father, it is so true that your mercies are new each day and that they will never end. For those who are in Christ, those of us who you have rescued from the dominion of darkness, that your mercies will never end. That they will remain for all eternity. And we're overwhelmed, Father, by that reality. And Father, as we open your word today, it is also true that for those who have not bowed the knee and profess Christ as Lord, that there will be no mercy in the afterlife. There are those that teach these lies that ought to be stopped. Help us, Father, to to know truth that we can expose lies. For your glory and Christ's sake, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Um, Emily's not here today because Kenny is has not had food or water for a couple days now, and so um, she's with Linda comforting her, so you can just keep that in, in mind. Um, as you all know, I'm not really a proponent of life's verses. We don't go around having life's verses and asking what each other's life's verses are. I've been in that kind of an environment. But I will tell you that, and, you know, it's because we, we, we know that sola scriptura and tota scriptura, all of scriptura, all of scripture is, is for us. Uh, but if I had to pick a life's verse, uh, I think I, many of you would know it would be Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So remember, he's appealing because he's just gone through in Romans who God is. Who man is, the way of salvation, the kindness of God, uh, justification by faith. He spent 11 chapters giving the gospel. He says, therefore, believers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good acceptable, and perfect. We have our minds renewed. And our lives will be transformed. And I was reminded how much we swim. I mean, I'm, I constantly remind but in another real way, how we swim in the patterns of this world, how, how we just are in the patterns of this world. And, and if our minds are being renewed, we, we don't want to be in the patterns of the world, and we want to we expose them when we do. I was sitting at my granddaughter Layla's soccer match. My five-year-old granddaughter playing soccer, and she was playing with other five and six years old. And half the time, for a half hour, they practice, and then for a half hour, they have a game. She was um, so. <laughs> I'm watching. Well, one thing that happens, I'm watching during the game, and a guy named Walter, and Walter likes to grab the ball with his hands, and unless you're the goalie, you know you can't grab the ball with your hands. And Walter needs to be told, you don't grab the ball with your hands. And if you're going to grab the ball with your hands, you need to sit on the side so you can play. No, no. Walter can grab the ball with his hands, and 
Walter, would it be okay if you put the ball down now? And, and are you feeling okay about putting the ball down now? And this is how they interact with Walter. And the Duncan in me is welling up. <laughs> Walter? <laughs> Walter, you're going to sit over there and you can cry all you want and you let me know when you want to play the game the way the game's to be played. And then um, another, my, my daughter, my daughter is, uh, there was a, they're in line during the practice time, and there was a girl on her team that was really upset. And so Layla was wanting to console her. So Layla was turned around, not paying attention to the line, and, and consoling this, this girl. And she came over for drink time, and I was commending her on, on being <laughs> caring for this girl who was, was distraught and uh, being kind to her. And I, she went back out to go to the thing, and I turned to my daughter and my ex-wife, her, her grandmother was there, and I was telling them how, how, how great it was to see my daughter being feminine, comforting someone, showing the, the, the traits of femininity as she was, she was wanting to have compassion on this girl. It, it, it made my heart glad. And what I was met with was how sexist I am. You know, that's not what she's here for. And later on, she, she lets a girl cut in front of her, a couple girls cut in front of her, and a boy cut in front of her in the practice line. And you know, she, they went in there, and so she backs up and lets them in there. And she comes over for another drink, and I commend her on, on how great it is that she was not being selfish. And she was actually thinking of others better than herself. And while she's still there, my daughter reproofs me and rebukes me strongly for, no, Dad, she should not let people cut her in line. Otherwise, she's not going to get to do the drill and become better. And so she walked away, and I explained to her, I don't, let me tell you something. <laughs> she's not going to play uh, U.S. World Cup soccer. She's not going to do that. She's, her skill set's not nearly there. So if that's what you're after, you might as well stop this right now. And I would encourage you to be encourage her in the things that God has told her to be and how to act. And quit trying to make this little girl a boy to compete and butt and, and, and fight and, and, and hold on to her place and, and not care about consoling and, and just worry about the battle. And that was a 15-minute conversation that was difficult, so much so that my daughter moved down to the other side to not sit by me. And the... And, and during that, I, I let Sarah know, look, if, if Layla's going to be around me, I'm going, to, I'm going to raise her to be a female. I'm going to encourage her in those things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thankful and let her know I'm thankful when she's showing a lack of self, selfishness. And if that's not something you want, then, then you probably shouldn't have her around me because I'm not going to stop telling her the truth. So... Uh, I know we all face these things ongoingly. And, and maybe, maybe look, maybe you aren't with me on the whole soccer thing and the women thing, and maybe, but just let that go for a minute. And just remember, we are to be different. We are to have our minds transformed and our lives to be different. And we're to tell the people around us who God is, who we are, and the right way of living. And it's difficult. I mean... Many of you know me. You know me for 15 years. You're probably surprised I even go watch my granddaughter's soccer match. Well, the kinder, gentler grandpa, papa, is trying to be, do these things and, and engage in these things and then try to speak truth into these things. 
And I, I, I think we need to be a people that we don't have to be militant. But we ought to be able to promote what God says is good. Not only be able to, we ought to. We ought to. And it's hard for me, it's hard for my family. Sports is a, it's a wreck in our family, in the history of our family. It has an elevated position and it matters too much. And, and, and it's not, it's the, the, world, the world doesn't think, their minds haven't been renewed. Their, their, their lives are not transformed. And they don't like to hear that. And I was just reminded of this week, and I was very encouraged by it, and I just want to encourage you. There's many ways we can do that throughout throughout our lives and throughout our weeks, and it'll bring what it may, and praise the Lord, yes? All right. I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We'll be in verses 45 through 54 today. Luke chapter 11. Last week we saw that, um, we saw Jesus pronouncing three woes on Pharisees at a brunch he had been invited to. This week we're going to see that Jesus insults more religious elites. Please stand, and I will read verses 45 through 54. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundations of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You may be seated. We are just, just past halfway through Luke's gospel. We've, we've looked at a little over two years of Jesus' life and ministry, and, and now he's in the last six months or so of his earthly ministry on the way to the cross. An observation that I, I want to make that I think is obvious, but I want to make the observation out loud because I, it's going to increase as we go along in the Gospel of Luke. We see that Jesus' life um, in ministry, in his earthly ministry, is filled with conflict. It's full of conflict. The more he stands on the truth of man's need for repentance and faith, the more he he teaches about truth from the Scriptures and against the errors of the religious system that he's around, the more he is challenged, the more he is attacked, and eventually he will be killed. 
His, his life in ministry is filled with conflict. As long as he was providing for the physical needs, the masses loved him. But as soon as he pressed into the spiritual needs of all mankind to, to uh, uh, this message of sin and repentance and their need for the Messiah, who, who, he, who he is, they attacked him. And I think this observation is important for us because we are Christ followers. Yes, we are Christians. And as we do ministry, as we be people that proclaim the truths of who God is and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will have lives of conflict. This is, remember, we are followers of Christ. We are, we are now going to see a lot of red letters. We're going to see Jesus interacting with the people around him now ongoingly. And what comes his way is conflict. And we too often want to avoid conflict. Our Christianity isn't about conflict. Our Christianity is about something different. The fate of all who would follow after Jesus from many passages of Scripture and from his example is anyone who's going to follow him in calling people to repentance and faith, they're going to, they should expect conflict. So it's 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 we see that he that he's in conflict and, and, and we see that he is confronting liars and lies. Something else we see that he does that we're to follow. He confronts liars and lies. Lying has consequences. On this earth even. Like a lie about, we have this thing at our house about uh, iPhone charger boxes. The really fast charger boxes. We have guests that come over, my daughter and my grandson, and we have people in my home. And charger boxes are a big deal. And lying about who has the charger box or who took the charger box has consequences. It affects the person who doesn't have one. So lying affects someone. and it, It matters to some extent. It harms, it's harmful. But, but then there's lies about things like the COVID vaccines or any vaccines, these poisonous jabs, these poisonous pokes. There's lies about those that are much more harmful. People are actually becoming ill, having adverse effects, and even dying from these things. So those lies are even more harmful. And, and the, the, the harm the lie brings, I would say, probably people would get, we and people would get more worked up about combating the lie. Or maybe we ought. Well, the, the, the most harmful lie of all is anything that has to do with how one is reconciled to God, how one will spend eternity. A lie about Christ and who he is or who he isn't, that is the most harmful lie of all. And if we're going to stand up against lies, we ought to be people who stands up against that lie over and above all the other lies that would be less than it. You see, there are people, there are, there, are, there are leadership, most leadership. I can't find leadership that doesn't just lie to us. And it's harmful. 
And we ought to be protecting ourselves and those we love from those lies. But, but the most harmful lie of all is one that, that teaches a lie about how one can be, have eternity in glory versus an eternity in damnation. And those lies we should be standing up against, combating even more. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled. Jesus doesn't combat a lot of lies about temporal situations except how they affect eternity. He's not fighting against the government. He's not fighting against the Romans. He's fighting against lies about eternity. That's what he's fighting against. So last week, Jesus was speaking. Remember, he's got this huge following, and he's speaking in front of all these people. He's talking about the light. He's the light that shines the light of God. And a Pharisee hears him speaking, asks him to come over and dine with him. He, he lets the, the Pharisee have it because the Pharisee says he, he isn't washing his hands before dinner. He's not following man-made rituals. And so Jesus lets him have it, and all the Pharisees have it. He pronounces three woes upon them. He pronounces woes because they they tithe their tenth of their seeds, and yet they don't they don't worry about the more important matters of love and justice. He he gives them he woes them because they they love the best seats in the house and the synagogues because of their pride and the position they have in their religion. He. He pronounces woes upon them because because they are they are defiled, and anyone who comes around them is defiled. And then, now we'll see the interpreters of the law. They're insulted also. After this is happening, as this is going on, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, and saying, these things you insult us also. So there's a second group of people here at this brunch that he's been invited to. And they're lawyers, namikas, interpreter and teacher of the Mosaic Law. We know this, but we want to remember who we're looking at. The lawyers are a little bit different than the Pharisees. The lawyers were the, the, the scribes and the lawyers are interchangeable terms. And the scribes and the lawyers were those who interpreted the law and kind of, they kind of, uh, they established a Mishnah, the Mishnah, how the rules that the Jews were to live by. That was what the lawyers, they weren't lawyers in the sense of civil law like we think of. They were, they were those that, that, that understood or interpreted the Mosaic law and then gave rules to follow that the Pharisees would then live by or not live by and then would enforce upon the masses. So the scribes were kind of the ones who made up the laws and the Pharisees were kind of the ones who would live by them and enforce them upon the masses. So the, the, the Pharisees were, by genealogy, you were a Pharisee. You had to be in a certain family to be a Pharisee, but the scribes and lawyers weren't. Some Pharisees were scribes and lawyers, but not all scribes and lawyers were Pharisees. And not all Pharisees were scribes and lawyers. So they were the, they were the interpreters of the, of the laws of, of Judaism. And they taught them. And the, the Pharisees kind of carried them out. The, the Pharisees had an official status. Remember, the Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the Sanhedrin. The scribes and, and lawyers didn't really have an official status. But they were very influential. So, so he's at this brunch at this Pharisee's house, and these lawyers 
hear what he's, how he's condemning the Pharisees, pronouncing woes, and, and they said, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. They were insulted. Hubrizo. Insult, verbally mistreat, to speak against someone in an insolent and arrogant way. Remember that this is what they're saying to him. It's the word we see in Acts 14.5 when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and stone them. Mistreat was this word here, hubrizo. It means to verbally abuse or to speak, uh, speak at someone in an arrogant, aggressive, attacking way. So the lawyers are listening to Jesus talking to the Pharisees and pronouncing woes, and they're saying, hey, you're, you're attacking us verbally. You're being verbally abusive. You're insulting us. You're speaking in an arrogant way. So this is how the, the, the lawyers perceived Jesus' words that had been directed at the Pharisees as arrogant and insolent. Now, we're going to look later on, but clearly Jesus was not sinning and speaking in an arrogant or insolent way, but this is how it was being heard. They believed he was attacking them in a verbally aggressive manner. Now, in this, in this world we live in, in this really nice, don't hurt people's feelings world, be careful what you say and soften your words if they upset someone to make sure they weren't insulted or offended in the world we live in today and in the way we're we're pressed to act the minute someone says you're insulting me with my words we backpedal oh let me let me respeak i'm sorry if that hurt your feelings i didn't mean to hurt your feelings listen if if the truth hurts someone's feelings and insults them then let's be like our lord Let's not be like the world we live in now that's taught, you know, stand down. Let's not use Scripture and twist it and say, well, you've got to do it with gentleness and respect. Well, Jesus is doing this with gentleness and respect. You know, I know that because that's the command. He's not going to be sinning. So let's think about how Jesus responds to these, these men. Their feelings are hurt. They're, they're upset because he's insulting them. Because he's verbally abusive in what he's saying to these Pharisees, and they're they're condemned right along with because they work with the Pharisees. But but our older brother, our king, our example, he does not soften the blow. He does not backpedal because he's insulted them. And he's speaking in ways that are extremely condemning. He's calling them. Graves, the, the graves, remember they, the whitewashed graves, they'd whitewash the graves so people wouldn't step on them because they believed if you stepped on a grave, it defiled you. And he's telling them, you are those defiled graves and you're not marked and people walk on you and they're defiled because of it. He's saying things to them that are very aggressive and they're taking them exactly how he means them. And then one of the, the, the namikas, one of the lawyers speaks to him and says, hey, you're insulting us too. I'm sorry. No, he doesn't do that. He pronounces more woes. He pronounces more woes is what he does. Woe number four. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you have insults, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers. Also. Oh, yeah, disaster, dread, horror, 
to you as well. You mosaic religious law experts, woe to you also, dread to you also, horror to you also, terror to you also. You load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You load, fortizo, people with burdens. Fortion, same, same root word. It means to cause to carry or bear a load. It's the word we see in Acts 27.10, saying, Sirs, I perceive the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Cargo, fortion. So what he's saying is you put loads as heavy as ship loads on people and it's a burden to them. These scribes, these Pharisees, they had developed this this Misha, the, the Judaistic laws and practices that placed heavy burdens on people. And they did nothing to help them carry them. And, and they also wouldn't even carry them themselves. They were, they were placing the people under heavy burdens of legalism with all the man-made rules and regulations that they had brought up. This Mishnah that they produced was in the, in, the, in the Talmud, it says that the Mishnah was more strict than the teachings of the Torah. So by their own admission, they added to the Torah and made it more strict and then expected people to follow it. The, for instance, the Sabbath law. You couldn't carry a burden on the Sabbath. It was forbidden. So he who carries anything in right hand or left hand or his bosom or on his shoulders is guilty. So on the Sabbath, you cannot carry anything with your right hand, with your left hand, on your chest, or on your shoulders. But you could carry on the back of your hand, on your foot, by your mouth, or your elbow, or your ear, or your hair, or a money bag turned upside down. They're not guilty. Because that's not the normal way of carrying things. So, so this is the kind of law that they had put on the people. And they're supposed to figure all this out. And they were the adjudicators. Uh, you could only travel 1,000 yards from your home on the Sabbath. I wish I could give you, I don't know, 1,000 yards. That's what, third of a mile. I don't know how far 1,000 yards is. You could only travel 1,000 yards from your home. Okay, but if you tied a rope at the end of your street, you could go a thousand yards from that. Or if on Friday you went out and you took two meals and placed them somewhere, that could be your new home. So you could go a thousand, you go to this place where you had meals, go to the next place you had two meals, then you could go a thousand feet from there. So again, these heavy burdens with ways to get around them that the Pharisees would do, expecting the people who wouldn't know all these intricacies to, to follow their Sabbath laws. Heavy burdens. Figuring it all out. Trying to live that way. You couldn't tie knots. Okay, it's forbidden to tie knots on the Sabbath. You could not use a rope to tie a knot. But a woman could tie her girdle. So if you needed to get water out of a well, you could not use a rope and tie a knot to bring the water out of a well, but you could use a woman's, a woman could use her girdle, and if she could get the water out with a girdle, then she was okay. These are laws that they actually had on the books. 
This is actually the burdens they were putting on people. This is the way they were telling people they must live. It reminds me of very strict Sabbatarians who say, you can't go to the restaurant. You can, you can go to a place where there's food already, but you can't go to a restaurant because you're making somebody else work. Or when you go home, the food has to be in the oven from the night before. It's placing all these rules and laws on people. This is what these, this is what these, these lawyers were doing. He's saying, woe to you. You put these heavy burdens on people. So, so Jesus then gives them another, he puts another woe on them. Verse 47, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them. And you build their tombs. These religious elites, these, these liars, they would revere the prophets of the Old Testament by, by building and maintaining monuments that were set there about them and for them. And they would say, because of that, we're honoring the Old Testament prophets. In Matthew, later on in, later on in time, in Matthew's gospel, he has a similar conversation with some Pharisees and scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So they were basically saying, We're not like our forefathers. We would not have killed the prophets like they did. We're honoring the prophets by the way we care for their monuments. This is how they would act. And so Jesus pronounces woes on them because the claim they're making is a lie. They're saying we wouldn't have we would not have killed the prophets if we were back there. We're honoring the Old Testament prophets. No, you're not because the Old Testament prophets came to warn the warn the very same thing Jesus was warning them of. That their way to heaven wasn't the following of the law, that they were failing to follow the law and they needed a they needed a savior. And, the, and the, the prophet of all prophets was standing right there in front of him, and they were about to kill him. Verse 49, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Matthew 23, again, similar conversation. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. This is exactly what these men were doing and they were going to do. The very same thing their forefathers had done that they claimed they were better than they were doing. Second Chronicles thirty six fifteen. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Old Testament prophets sent by God over and over again to tell Israel and Judah that they were sinners in need of a Messiah, and they killed them all. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in Hebrews 11, it talks about they were sawn in half and they were stoned, killed with the sword. These, these prophets, the, the wisdom of God, Jesus is telling them, the prophets that came and were sent, they were killed. And by the way, that is also going to happen now, going to send prophets to you. 
the the these 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 the lawyers, these religious elite, they were they were they were just like them, but they were saying they were different. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. There's the promised, prophesied, promised prophet right there in front of them. And what he knows and what's going to happen is they're going to kill him. And here they are acting like they wouldn't have killed the prophets like their forefathers did. They're hypocrites. These lawyers, these Jewish, these Mosaic law experts, they were, they were, they were among those who would call for the deaths of Jesus. And then, and then for the, the other prophets, messengers, apostles of Jesus. Acts 12, we see James was killed. Our, uh, yeah, James was killed in Acts 12. And then Peter was arrested. Acts 7.52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels did not keep it. Your forefathers killed the prophets that prophesied about Jesus, and then you killed Jesus. This generation was no different than the other generations of Jews who had killed God's people. So in verse 50, of Luke 11. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. He's telling them all the prophets that have died from the beginning of the world, all the martyrs, their blood is on you. Woe to you. You're trying to hide behind your lot like your forefathers? Like you actually think you honor the Old Testament prophets? No, you continue to, to deny the message they brought and now... Now, all of their blood is on you, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. In A.D. 70, Judaism was completely destroyed. All the records of Judaism, Judaism was was destroyed in A.D. 70 when the temple fell. On that generation, all the blood, all of the, all of the denial of the prophets, all of that fell upon those that were standing in front of him that day. And he's telling them, woe to you. You're just like them. You're doing the same thing. And the prophet is here now. And then his, his messengers, who he will leave to give the same message, you're going to kill them. You're going to persecute them. You're just like them. Woe to you. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Who was the first martyr? Abel. And why was he martyred? Because he he was right with God in his, in his offerings. And, and Cain was not right with God. Cain had a false religion and he wanted to kill the one who had a true religion. Cain spoke to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Abel to Zechariah. Now, there was a Zechariah in Second Chronicles 24. Zechariah. Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, 
And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. So Zechariah, the prophet, says, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. May the Lord see and avenge. May the Lord see and avenge. Well, he's going to avenge. And he's going to avenge this generation that Jesus was in front of. Now, this Zechariah probably isn't the one being referenced, we think, because Matthew 23, Jesus says this, So that on, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So the son of Berechiah, this Zechariah, by the way, there's lots of Zechariahs in the Old Testament. This prophet Zechariah was killed in about 580 B.C., very near the end, the probably last, last prophet that was martyred. The, the other Zechariah would have been killed in 800 or so. But the, the point Jesus is making is that this generation of these, of these lawyers, these Pharisees, the religious elite, these liars telling lies to people in front of him, that group right there, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill his apostles and his prophets, his messenger, and God was going to pour out his wrath on that generation in a very real way, which he did. Jesus goes to woe number six. Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. You have taken away the key of knowledge, keeping others from the way of salvation, and you yourselves aren't going to enter. Well, what's the key of knowledge? The key of knowledge is the Scriptures. You've twisted the Scriptures. You've taken away the very thing that would have pointed you to right standing before God. And you've taken that away from, by twisting the Scriptures, by by creating all these new laws and these extra biblical commands, you've created this, this, this false religion that has the key of knowledge, true knowledge of Christ Jesus, of the Messiah, of right relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ, you've taken that away so that people can't enter because you're selling them a false religion and you aren't going to enter either. Woe to you. Woe to you. Romans 3. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with God's word, the Old Testament scriptures. That is the key of knowledge. The Old Testament scriptures that were fulfilled in Christ, all pointed to Christ. They they had those, they were entrusted with them, and they took them away by twisting them and changing them. When Jesus is rebuking the Jewish elite in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And as they that bear witness about me, You've taken the key of knowledge, the scriptures, you've, you've misused them, thinking that, that the law that, that would give you eternal life, yet the scriptures point to me. 
So he's pronouncing woes. Now listen, there are thousands and many and so many that come to mind, both religions, if you will, and people who have taken away the key of knowledge. A health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is taking away the key of knowledge. That's not who Christ is. That's not why he came. Roman Catholicism is taking away the key of knowledge. Mormonism is taking away the key of knowledge. And we, we, like our Lord, like our example, ought to be calling these liars out. Men especially. Godly men. Leaders. Pastors and elders especially. We should be calling out these liars and telling them of their inevitable doom. And they're everywhere. Joel Osteen is a liar. He's taken away the key of knowledge. And he's not going to enter, nor is anyone who is following him. Because it's hard. It's hard truth. Rome is it's the same way. Roman Catholicism is a different religion. It's not, it's not faith in Christ alone. It is very works-based. These priests, they sit in these boxes and they tell you if you come and you, and you confess all your sins to me, I will absolve those sins by you going and praying to Mary for a while. That's, that's, that's a false religion. They're liars. Anybody believes they're forgiven for their sins by confession is believing a lie. Anybody who believes that Jesus Christ has to die at every Mass is believing a lie. And Jesus doesn't care if He insults them. He doesn't care. Jesus took, He is at someone's house for brunch. He is reclining at the table of this host. And he takes the opportunity when he's, when it all starts when the Pharisees say, why don't you wash your hands? Like our fathers have taught us. Like is our religion. And that opens up Jesus to say, you, do you not realize that God cares about the inside? He made the inside and the outside. Do you, not, do you not understand? And then he goes into giving them all of their woes. And then, he, and then the lawyer speaks up and says, Oh, hold on, you're, you're bothering us also. Well, you know what? Woe to you also. Let me tell you about what you're doing and what, what, where you're headed. He confronts these false teachers. He confronts their lies. With an audience. He's given woes to the Pharisees for following the minute details of the law and forgetting love and justice. He, he, he gives them woes for their love of the position and authority that they've gotten in their religion. He, he gives them woes for being actually defiled and they defile everyone who touches them. And then the, the, the lawyer speaks up and he turns to him and he says, Woe to you. Woe to you for, for putting these heavy burdens of legalism on, these, on the people. 
Woe to you for, for killing the prophets and his messengers, which is what you're in the middle of doing and you're going to do. Woe to you for, for twisting the scriptures to, 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 to keep yourselves and others that follow you from heaven, but sending you to hell. Woe to you. Last warning. Stop it. This is what's coming your way. How do these religionists react? How do the how do the religious how brothers and sisters, how do people that you try to expose the lies they're believing react? And what do you do about it? Do you back down and say peace, peace when there is no peace? Or do we press on? Here's how they reacted. These self-righteous, pious, religious fools. Stupid is what he calls them. How'd they react? As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So Leighton Flowers says, well, let's talk about this and this and this and this. Let me see if I can catch you up. Let me see if I can catch you up. I can't remember who it was. Somebody was talking to me about they were with a priest. Uh, somehow they ended up with a priest asking him a question. And, and the priest just, you know, has, let's talk about this and this and this and this, trying to distract. Talk to a Jehovah's Witness sometime. Talk to a Mormon sometime. They will try to trip you up. They will keep asking questions to keep trying to, to make you think you don't know what you're talking about. They will not respond. <laughs> Talk to the charismatic Pentecostal about the Christ they're following. Talk to the Mormon. They'll call you brother and they'll deny everything that's true about Jesus. So, so these, these, these Pharisees and these scribes, they start to turn up the heat with the arguments with him. They try to catch him up so they could accuse him and have people stop following him. Their response shows that they're scoffers. Proverbs 9.8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. These scoffers hated Jesus. Scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Scoffers don't like to be reproved. People, religious, self-righteous, pious, they don't like to be reproved. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. These men were fools. They were scoffers. They would not listen to the truth, and they, they, they would just continue to c- continue in their stupid ways. And... Did, did liars stop with that generation? Religionists, self, self-righteous, pious, legalists. Did it stop with that generation? No, no. And, and Paul warns the elders at Ephesus. 
Remember Acts 20, 28, we go through with you in your membership about how we're to shepherd your souls and the accountability we have before God. Then he says this in Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is true to this day. And especially elders, and especially men, we're to be protecting the sheep from the lies of the wolves and not caring if they get insulted. Lots lots of false teachers taking people away to hell with their false religion. And some of those who are following them, they become, they think, teachers. And they're going to take more with them. And we get to sit with some of those people sometimes. We're actually in front of people like that. How many ways are there to be made right with God? One, Jesus Christ. Is there any other way to be made right with God? How does one stay right with God? In and through Jesus Christ. Is there any other way to stay right with God? What is required of you other than faith in Christ alone? Nothing. There are many liars who tell all kinds of different stories. There are many religions who, many Christians who follow the Jesus who came to give them a better life now. Who follow the Jesus that wants to give them experiential joy. That's not the Jesus that will lead you to God. We are to expose liars and their lies. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So, the knowledge of Christ... Is there multiple knowledges of Christ? No, there's one, and it's from the Scriptures. And and what it says is, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. That is a matter of fact. Through Christians, He spreads His fragrance. Through Christians, he spreads his truths. Like women should be compassionate and caring, which leads to a gospel conversation. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Not me, outside of the power of Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Not you, in and of yourself. But we are sufficient. We do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And one of the things we're to do is to be spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. 
Listen. Allowing people to think that praying to Mary is a right thing or it's okay. Allowing people to believe that that that, 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 that the sacraments are necessary. That's not the fragrance of Christ. That's not the truth. Allowing people to believe that Christ actually sheds, His blood is actually shed at every Mass, that's not. Allowing people to believe that that Jesus was the Son of God and the and the and the and the and the brother of Lucifer, having 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 people to believe there is no hell. This is not the fragrance of Christ. This is not what Christ taught, and we're around it all the time, yeah, regularly. And I'm really especially talking to men because I think that's God who, who, who Paul's talking to as we look at Second Timothy, but, but everyone. But, but men, why is it that we can be around people who, who lie about who God is, who Christ is, and the right way to heaven, the only way to heaven, and we say nothing? And if we do say something and they get insulted, we back down. And then I've got people that come to me and say, you've got to calm down. Okay, maybe, but I don't think so. Not because I'm perfect like Jesus, but I don't need to back down because someone's insulted. My Lord didn't. Paul, he's telling Timothy how pastors and elders are to live. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant, how, how do we square what I'm about to read with what we just saw Jesus doing? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The second part of that, as Jesus is interacting with these, these Pharisees and these lawyers, God granting them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they might come to their senses, That's what he's making available to them through the truth. But it says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Was Jesus being quarrelsome? Well, he couldn't be because he was a servant of the Lord. He's God himself. The word quarrelsome, mechomai, to fight armed combatants, war of words, quarrel. Jesus was not having a war of words. Jesus was simply telling the truth. Jesus was simply pointing out the sin of these men, the lies they tell and they believe, the burdens they put upon people. But kind, affable, gentle to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting, correcting, paiduo. Pastor Nick's talking about the word a lot. What's paiduo? Well, that's the word for chastening. That's the word for chastening. In this sense, to chasten with words, to reprove. We are to chasten with words. We are to do that 
correcting his opponents with gentleness, praiutes. What's praiutes? Remember, that's meekness. That's the word that was used for taming a wild horse and bringing him under the control of its owner. Was that horse any less powerful? No. Just did what the master says. That's who we're to be. We, we cannot, we must not take passages of Scripture like this and then use that to tell Jeff, you got to calm down because you insulted somebody. Jeff might need to calm down because he insulted somebody, but not if he's telling the truth. Oh, but it's a tone thing. That's not, that's not a biblical argument. Now, there's a heart in us that is imperfect, that needs to be reproved and corrected and prayed for and, and counseled. But there is no part of us men, godly men, leaders, that will back down from a conversation like Jesus showed us to have, the conversations we saw Paul have or Peter have, and use this passage here as a reason to not do it. This tells me Jesus was gentle, he wasn't quarrelsome, and he was kind. Jesus did exactly this. So did Paul, so did Timothy, and so will godly men to this day. Closing thought. As spirit-led, gospel-centered Christians, we ought not be surprised or nor shrink back when we insult and are then hated by and pressed on by the self-righteous, pious, religious fools of our day. If we are going to be gospel-centered men, people, we are going to be insulting people. We are going to be the aroma of death. They're going to believe that we're being verbally abusive. They're going to Press back on us. Don't be surprised. Don't shrink back. Let Christ be your guide. We're going to keep seeing this throughout the next few months, years, however long it takes us, a couple years to get through Luke. What did Jesus do? He lived a life of conflict. As long as he was taking care of physical needs... Hey, as long as you're being sweet to your neighbor and you're cooking them meals and you're, you're not upsetting them and you're just doing nice things for their physical needs, it'll be fine. No worries. Grace Fellowship Church, we can go out and we can do some community projects and they'll love us just fine. Until you tell them the truth. Especially if you're running up against some religious, pious, legalist, religionists. They're the ones who we're looking at here. We're not talking about, he's not here talking to the the one on the street who's denying Christ's existence. We're talking to the ones that are closest to true Christianity, kind of like these other religions of the day. They're really close, aren't they? They use the same Old Testament. They just twist it. Just because they use the same Bible doesn't mean they're not twisting it. And and we need to be able to talk to them about that. And if we insult them and if we offend them, we don't back up. We just keep pressing forward. 
And when they try to trip you up, they can't trip you up because you know the truth. You know the truth. You just tell the truth. Liars about the way to heaven. Liars about any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ need to be confronted and they will be offended. And that's our job as men, as leaders. And and if we can't do that in our own family, we can't do that in our own extended family, we need to repent. And we need to believe Jesus when he says, I didn't come to bring peace. A father will be against mother against her daughter. Father-in-law against son-in-law. Those of your own household will be your enemies. He's at brunch at a Pharisee's house. He's in his home. He doesn't follow his rules. He gets questioned. He, he tells them the truth. He pronounces woes on them. He tells them where they're headed because of their false religion. And then half the group says, Oh, oh, oh you're, hey, oh, you're bothering us too. Oh, okay, well, let me go to you then. That's our Lord. That's our King. That's our example. Father, we thank you for Christ and his boldness. We thank you for Christ. We are not like him, Father. We are not knowledge. All knowledge and truth is not contained in us. It is contained in Christ alone. But, Father, you have kindly given us your word. You've given us your spirit that we we can imitate Paul as he imitates Christ in this area of exposing lies. Father, it is one thing to expose lies on the level of the temporal. And we ought to be truth-tellers. But, Father, those things that have to do with eternity, lies about how to get right with you are the biggest lies out there, the most harmful. Help us to have the, the zeal to combat those every bit as much as we do from those, those who are in power over us in a governmental sphere who have mask mandates and get their hair cut without. Who have stay-at-home orders and go to restaurants with their friends. Father, we get, in, we get upset by these things. Father, help us to see the religious hypocrites, those whose lives lead to eternal damnation, and expose them and be ready for what comes our way, persecution and reviling. Thank you for your son Jesus and the example he is and that you've given us. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 44, Come Praise and Glorify. Hymn 44, Come Praise and Glorify.